All right. We're going to begin with a short disclaimer. These first two episodes were recorded a year ago in May and June. Uh, it's pretty obvious from what we talk about that we're talking about a year old news items. Yeah. But basically everything is still completely relevant and contemporary since nothing has fundamentally changed. Yeah, that was the promise. <laughs> yeah, so all, all of this stuff is obviously when you rolled. It's also obviously still current. Uh, we recorded it at the time we were thinking of starting this. For several reasons, we decided to postpone it, uh, and we're launching it now, but it's it's still fine to listen today, so don't worry about it. Enjoy. Enjoy. Okay, repeat the thingy. <laughs> Architecture is, is like the topic that everybody uses as an excuse to drop their critical goggles. And just it's an excuse to just go full utopian for a moment, even if normally it's a critical. Yeah, even in political podcasts, yeah. architecture shows up, everything's fucked. All yeah. the bit good bits, all the proper left non-liberal bits, immediately become swamped by architectural liberalism. Yeah, in and it's like, not funny anymore either. Yeah, it, and it becomes boring. The only architecture joke I can think of, off the top of my head, that has like a mass had a mass reception, is the Frank Gehry on The Simpsons. Right, crumpled up piece of paper in the trash right. becomes masterpiece. Yeah. That's like the extent of popular. Yeah, that's like humor. hardcore intellectual critique. Yeah. right there. That's like the best architect can do. Yeah, <laughs> uh, I, I mean, it's, it's all right. Yeah, I mean, I yeah, I, I, I like it on the basis of I like it on the basis of its superficiality. Uh, <laughs> it, that's that, I mean, I like it way more than when they try to like invent alternative forms of real estate speculation as a left-wing project but anyway we'll have time yeah, to no, the simpsons the simpsons gary bit is like proper adornian imminent critique right right that's that's, like, that's a good way of yeah, framing it yes it, the vac vacuous nature of form and the authorial gesture is literally just throwing shit in the trash that's the authorial gesture like that that might be a better adornian imminent it, critique point than i've not like, just that it's like it's it's proper like that that's what the peak of uh critique of the avant-garde uh, and the critique of the post-avant-garde condition is historically like effectively what they're representing is the core of what Berger makes right. of, of of what the post-avant-garde condition is as critiquing the institution of art from the inside just becoming a repetition and therefore the reproduction of the institution of art. Uh, that's exactly it. Like it just turned trash into art originally became a form of delegitimizing art and now it just becomes a way of legitimizing trash. <laughs> Alright man. Yeah, let's go then. We on? We're on. Okay. Well, by the way, what, 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 what is this? Is, that, is this a Twitter or is this a one? What, what is this? Is, it, is this Twitter? Does Twitter have a kind of a dark function like this? A dark, yeah. Like YouTube yeah. has a dark theme? Twitter yeah. also has a dark this theme now? Dark Twitter. Dark Twitter. Dark web Twitter. <laughs> Schumacher is a dark, dark Twitter. The dark Twitter uh, user? User, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, um, I got this. Uh, I didn't send it to me. It's uh, it's it's just wonderful. It's 
Patrick Schumacher's take on <laughs> the current core uh, American BLM-inspired protests. Uh, yeah. Right? He's, Patrick Schumacher says, I like the slogan, defund the police. The police arrogance and brutality with impunity is a function of its monopoly status, monopoly all caps. If they had to compete in a competitive market for security, they would act differently and would be out of business instantly with acts like this. Isn't that fantastic? Wow, that's great. Like I did, when she sent me the email, she like the, the uh, subject was just king. <laughs> <laughs> that's all she said. <laughs> <laughs> this guy's a fucking genius. That is a king take right the there. The king take right there, yeah. right? It's amazing. Yeah, like, the, obviously, this is just factually incorrect. So, like, the right. it's the privatization of, like, 50% of the security and judicial apparatus of the United States. Like, that's re directly related to why shit like this keeps yeah. happening all the time. Like, privatized uh, prisons, which... By the way, Joe Biden did that uh, during Clinton's presidency. Uh, just like the stimulus for the police to continuously keep the private for-profit prison system full of people and overflowing and justifying yeah. its continuous expansion as a business practice. Yeah, but maybe even more direct, directly is the whole breaking up the police unions. Like his position... I would expect a companion tweet on breaking up police yeah, unions. Yeah, to transform the because the police unions be about basically, unions in general, yeah. not about the specificity of the police. Like unions. you could properly punish police officers for committing such violent acts if you could break down the police unions like monopoly on the workforce. Yeah, so imagine just to construct a Thatcherite interpretation yeah. of the, what today are left wing uh, uh, demands, yeah. and I mean it's kind of legitimate. Because obviously breaking the opinions is not a good idea, but the police unions in the United States are kind of just kind of proto-fascist yeah. organizations of fascists run by fascists. Like it's, it's not a labor union exactly. No, and the Thatcher Thatcher connection, Thatcher delib like she purposefully boosted police unions in yes, the UK to crush the other ones. Like, exactly, and that's that's what makes Schumacher's position concretely ridiculous. Right, uh, is that if you want to actually have this kind of libertarian free market right. structure you need an absolutely fascistic destructive monopoly exactly. on physical force exactly exactly uh, i mean it, it's all because he's a libertarian and it's a kind of logic in which they, they think monopolies are constructed by the state they don't yeah. think monopolies are a thing that emerges out of free free market relations they think free market would exist naturally if the state didn't exist to, to force monopolies on the market yeah, I suppose they think the state is like some kind of evil alien influence from another dimension. Yeah, it's essentially it's that. It's like an act of it's essentially Satan that. of some kind. Yes. Just ex, ex nihilo. Like. That's essentially the libertarian <laughs> position. It comes out of the system and it breaks the natural organic wholeness of the system. Everything is natural in the world except the state. Exactly. Which is a product of, I don't know, the... like. Eve eating the but the thing <laughs> is the it actually it, it actually indicates I mean the, the 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 breaking up unions I think it's going to be less direct but it clearly indicates the neoliberal opportunity to defend the police 
Right. Because obviously, the, the left-wing argument, the BLM-ish argument on defunding the police is not about just taking money away from police as a public service. It's about taking that money away from police and redirecting it to other public services right. like education, like social welfare, like etc. Like you need to invest less in police if you invest more on other things. His entire point is that you, the state shouldn't invest in anything. Yeah. Everything should be free market, including the police. Schumacher is really good at this, but it, it kind of it, it, he's this kind of absolutely precise, concise version of what neoliberal thinking is in general. Yeah, uh, but he just kind of is so completely able to condense he's, all of the errors into something that looks like it makes sense. Yeah, he's like a he's like a logic king in this. Right? He's like a libertarian yeah. logic uh, nerd. It's great. Okay, so uh, welcome to Street Sweeper. Right? Yeah. I'm Ricardo. My name is Will. Yeah, and this will be your uh, like future, the future reference in all architectural circles for like architectural left critique stuff. Yeah, this is we're stuck inside. Everybody's got plenty of time to listen to podcasts, so here we are. <laughs> With our podcast on architecture from a Marxist-Leninist perspective. <laughs> <laughs> well, this is the fourth time we're recording this, this, this start. At the, at the very least. We, we, we switched from beer to whiskey. So yeah. this better work this time. <laughs> Obviously, like the, the, there's kind of been a growing field of left critique in general terms, right? Yeah. Po there's cl a clear like rebirth of the left in politics. It's been going on for a bit. Yeah, uh, and uh, like in several cultural fields, and architecture also has its own like rebirth of the left position, which appears as like a, yeah, it's kind of the architecture culture of the like eighties to two thousand tens is like over. We're done with that. Thank God. Uh, that's like si simultaneously uh, like evil and passe in like mm -hmm. fashion terms right yeah it's kind of boring no one likes that anymore yeah and there's a kind of a left the left appears again but like for some reason you have a kind of a rebirth of the left in general terms in the political field etc which is specifically constructed as like rescuing the left from its like historical takeover by liberalism yeah in architecture the new lefts are just liberalism yeah, that break has yet to yet to happen. Yeah, like as far as we're know, we are the only people doing it. Yeah, <laughs> right. Like, I mean, like there's there's some good potential about a lot of like new left stuff happening out there. Some of yeah. the, some of it has some potential, but it's systematically hamstrung and systematically constrained within the whole kind of bullshit. And of, this is this is kind of a neoliberal interpretation of what the left could be. Yeah, like you'll find good writing on like good critical. Uh, left-wing progressive writing on uh, housing problems, on like how horrible real estate-driven urbanism is, gentrification, all that stuff. But it all just all systematically ends up becoming an opportunity for further uh, real estate yeah. speculation, for but those, further those gentrification. Aren't, yeah, those aren't architects speaking. Like, yeah, you'll yeah, find exactly. that outside of architecture. Yeah, yeah, right? yeah, yeah. We're inside architecture Yes. to a certain extent. You, you'd consider yourself an architect. Oh, uh, yeah. I would consider myself a DJ. <laughs> <laughs> that is terrible, though. 
<laughs> I'm just kidding. You're 35. <laughs> I, I stopped considering myself a DJ when I turned 28. <laughs> now I consider myself a basketball player. <laughs> Freelance hipster. Now we're teachers. Yes. Uh, and obviously, like academia is the, like a perfect hub of all of these contradictions. There's clearly yeah. a desire to break through the, the like institutional limitations. Everyone, like students especially, is very clearly, but also like you, you can feel it in general terms in the culture, right? Yeah. It's a kind of a general drive that feels like almost at a tactile level, the limitations of like the even like what architecture means in the current context. Yeah. Right. Like there's kind of the. The, contempor- the way in which architecture as a concept itself has been kind of defined yeah. basically from the 1970s till today, although that's it's our reading of the problem. Uh, yeah, the break, the break within the within the contemporary left, like how the left breaks off and like critiques liberalism. Yeah, kind of ejects liberalism from the left. Yeah, uh, that happens through insisting on class. Yes, basically, like across, yeah, obviously. and connecting it to other political problems. Yeah, but like when we when, when liberal intersectionality and like diversity become like structurally enmeshed as part of a system, yeah, that's when you get the left, yeah, uh, proper, right? Yeah. And obviously, I mean, we are Marxists, so yeah. there is a measure of like uh, class class centrism, not class reductionism, but class centrism. Not centrism is the wrong word. <laughs> class centrism, yeah. <laughs> middle class. It's all about the middle class. Centra- centering the problem on. Yeah. No, yeah. we'll we'll allow ourselves a bit of class reductionism. I think every once in a while, I think it's appropriate. I think it's important. <laughs> yes. Uh, polemically. But yeah, in architecture, this is a particularly difficult break to make, because architects see themselves as like liberal professionals. Liberal in the sense of like, yeah, as a career, yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, independent contractor, entrepreneur, blah yeah. blah. This is what architecture is, sort of by definition. Yeah, it's, it's like that's moment. a professional aspect of what you do is try to sell, like, come up with a cultural product. Like, architecture is part of the cultural scene now, no longer part of like a connection to, to the to the construction industry. Yeah, and so architects are like cultural entrepreneurs. At yeah. a professional level, that's the way they can make money because there's like the, the the construction market, the actual working as a technical designer of buildings, yeah. right? That whole shit's kind of started going to shit after 2008 and just has just accelerated since then. Yeah. And now it's worse than ever. And it's going to get even worse after with the, the, the post-COVID right. crash. So, and I, I mean, we see our students tackling, like struggling with this and a lot of like, we see students... Oh, and of course, there's people who are fascinated with being like cultural scene artists, but mm-hmm. there's a lot of people who are, no, I, I mean, I, I went into architecture because I wanted to like think about buildings and how like build houses for people to live in yeah. and like think about like the city organization and blah, blah, blah. And none of that is like allowed anymore, right? Uh, except as like an art project that thinks about it instead of like trying to find solutions to the actual problems. Yeah. Uh, so like there's a professional dimension, then there's the disciplinary dimension, right? Where the whole thing becomes uh, like architecture defines itself as uh, kind of producing imaginaries of new ways of like experiencing and living and whatever, which is obviously this kind of middle class privilege uh, 
post-70s context, right? It's like... It's, it's lifestyle, lifestyle. Exactly. It's a liberal lifestyleism yeah. replacing left the left practice of architects actually working in the industry in connection to the public sector in constructing the infrastructure of the welfare yeah. state. So now we have a left re demanding the welfare state again. And we're not social democrats. We're not like welfare state left. We're revolutionaries, right? But that, just the fact that there is a left that is distinguishing in practical terms, well, the, the left is about actual material gains and public sector uh, organization versus this kind of liberal framework of like individual freedom based on a concept of basic kind of consumption uh, identity, right? Architecture yeah, architect exists purely within the field of consumption identity. Yeah, architects have the, their number one job. They have sort of two jobs, right? First job is to be cool. Second job, connected to the first job, is find a client. Yeah. Those are basically, and that client is a private client. Right. So architects, I mean, being... Although really, at the moment, the private client, and like because they're no, no longer selling a product to the construction industry, the client is like art grants and shit. So a lot of yeah, the, even a have, lot of the client public, is actually yeah. the government now right. again, in a perverted way. Yeah, that's very true. But anyway, yeah, I would say... Yeah, I mean, we just, in line with a lot of contemporary progressive politics, we have a kind of like a kind of intransigent anti-culturalism, right? And we're but we're inside the cultural field, <laughs> right? Uh, which is kind of awkward. I mean, for us, our solution is to be cool and funny in a podcast, <laughs> and to sell that rather than uh, pervert our our uh, yeah. architectural. Our soul. our liberal opportunism, yeah, is to sell the critique of liberal opportunism. Yeah, as itself a cultural commodity, yeah. but which rejects precisely culturalism and says, no, go back to the fucking material conditions. Architecture yeah. needs to start thinking about like housing and the welfare state structures. Yeah. Uh, it's one of the things that is obvious about the current COVID thing, right? And we were looking at like we we are uh, uh, in this episode, like it's going to be like a two-parter. Uh, we are looking at material where architecture. He's basically trying to architect its way through the COVID thing in order to turn yeah. an obvious like slump in consumption into a like opportunity of inventing new bullshit. Yeah, and it's all bullshit systematically. Right. And so the, the approach that architecture takes is to uh, like look at um, because all, all of these architects are like locked down in their quarantines. Mm -hmm. uh, the, the, the approach is, what can I do? What commodities can I find within the limited confines on my terrible tiny flat? Because the, all of these middle class people are not well paid anyway. Uh, instead of thinking like, like wh what is the real deal that's happening? Around? We're going to have the largest uh, uh, rental and mortgage crisis in the history of fucking humanity, right? It's, it's like, at the like at the corner. Yeah. There's going to be millions and millions of people losing their homes. Yeah. Like the issue of housing will become and is becoming right now in front of our very eyes, 
even larger than the point, the moment when it was like brought yeah. back in like the, the Corbin and uh, mostly the Corbin. Corbin had a lot of housing thing. Yeah, uh, less less the Sanders like American social Demo democratic left. Uh, yeah, this this crisis is going to put housing maybe even be, even more than the two thousand seven and eight it, crisis. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's going to yeah. be absolutely unbelievable. Uh, like yeah. the, the this whole thing is radicalizing the problems of austerity, neoliberalism, yeah. cap, and the, like the systemic collapse of. Uh, basically Western capitalism, accelerating yeah. it very quick and very fast. Yeah. Uh, but architects would rather talk about like furniture yeah, exactly. design. It's and like, like even more retreating. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, I mean, the, 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 the political context is widespread. I mean, when we started doing this, uh, the left was growing, then the, like we, we started thinking about this way off. So, uh, the whole thing was about... Uh, Bernie Sanders is going to be president of the United States. <laughs> um, and then, obviously, everything is totally defeated. Corbyn is abjectly defeated. Uh, Sanders is defeated. And yeah. uh, now we're in a kind of super complicated situation where, like, after the defeat, everyone is like, ugh. And then, suddenly, there's an explosion of discontent. And now there's a kind of a re-energization. Yeah. Right? So, uh, I mean, the whole thing is kind of complicated. It has ups and downs. It, but, obviously, the whole thing is, like, growing in a deepening crisis. And architecture has been trying to politicize itself for a while. All its attempts have been systematically constrained by its existing ideological nonsense. Mm -hmm. Everything it has been doing, all of the, the rebirth of the left in architecture, is systematically bullshit. And we're going to be talking about that as we go on, right? That's right. our theme. Yeah, so we've got, we, we thought we'd, we'd begin with some objects, right? Some readings, some, yeah, some yeah, texts. Yeah, yeah. We've got, we thought it'd be representative to pick some Dazine articles. <laughs> yes. And uh, also to balance that out with some highbrow. Highbrow culture. Uh, proper culture. We've got <laughs> an architectural review issue. Yeah, the latest one. Uh, it's responding to the uh, COVID crisis. It's called Inside. Mm -hmm. Inside. Inside. Which, Which, by the way, yeah. Inside, the previous issue, the issue before that was on tourism. <laughs> Which just goes to show how structurally yeah. incapable of actually having a narrative that explains what's going on is. Like, yeah, it's yeah. just like, you're selling whatever's on the table. Yeah. They were selling tourism in May. In yeah. June, they are selling the inside because they had time to catch up with the COVID. Yeah, they're selling the exact opposite thing. Exactly, yeah. 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 But yeah, regardless, architects are going to find some way to like <laughs> surf, surf these waves directly into the mouth of a shark. <laughs> A loan shark, no less. Yeah. A, uh, a proper right. real estate loan shark. <laughs> yeah, so uh, we're going to start with, um, like, I got a couple of examples from the zine, right? Uh, and yeah, the, the first one is, like, really simple. It starts easy. Uh, this is literally just Boeri uh, having, like, St Stefano Boeri having a project that he calls a coronavirus-resilient neighborhood in Tirana. This is the guy with the, the tower in Milan, right? Yeah. Il Bosco Verticale. Uh, it's like a, a building covered in trees. Yeah, that's like, that's his whole shtick. Like, and the, the, like, the obvious superficial critique of this is that it looks exactly like every single other project he's ever made. Right. So... Like, where, where is the coronavirus specificity that he's just come up with in the last few days? in making this whole, like, large-scale urban 
like master like well i imagine with these people it's pretty easy just to tack on a different justification because like no matter what the problem is whatever the alibi is they do the same thing they're just generating the maximum square footage for real estate right like so climate change or covid there's no big difference yeah there's a kind of a sort of return to like 19th century hygienist principles Hmm. hygienist hygienist um and yeah this whole but they have the kind of rhetoric around it and the kind of an aesthetics of it, but there's like nothing of the whole like scientific planning, engineering, technical issues that that like determined what they actually did at the time. Like the whole principles that were actually underlying it, the solutions that came up with it. Like, oh, you see, look at this, like looking at the plan, like the densification of that piece of land the spacing between blocks, like it, it con- entirely contradicts right. the entire actual formal consequences of the hygienist of the hygienist concerns. Like you look at a modernist urban plan and you can read the diagram of how they're trying to get light exposure, yeah. trying to widen streets, yeah. trying to blah, blah, blah. You look at this and you just see like a, a map of property values. Exactly. And cramming as much shit on exactly. property exactly. as possible. Exactly. Yeah, so what I've seen of this project reminds me of the first text in the architectural review issue. It's called Public House by Achu Amani Alcocer and Flavio Martella, which ends on a point about how the the conditions of the pandemic make us reconsider like what is lacking from our domestic space. Right. And they emphasize this kind of middle scale of the like shared spaces, balconies, terraces, rooftops, courtyards. And this project, it's what it seems to be doing, as far as I can tell, is generating as much private space as possible. So like the units are private space, but connected to the unit, there are as many opportunities for kind of gated private zones and as many opportunities for kind of like Exactly. security checks and privatization this is this to me is like the biggest theme from how i've seen architects talking about talk about covid and architecture the text the text at the beginning of the architectural review uh has this passage i'll read quote the idea of an empty public space seemed unimaginable in 21st century societies in recent years most of the houses in metropolitan centers have been converted, split, and adapted, leveraging more and more the public sphere. According to European Commission statistics, around 35% of urban housing in Europe is small houses with poorly equipped kitchens, little living and storage space, and many with little natural light without cross-ventilation, blah, blah, even external views, and the number is constantly on the rise. However, because the configuration of these homes relies on their expansion into the public sphere, they prove inadequate when public space becomes inaccessible. In the face of the current crisis, there are wait, limitations... Wait, 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 I'm sorry. Living in a shitty, tiny flat because yeah. of rental speculation inflation yeah. is bad because and only because like access to public spaces, like, there's a qualifier there. Yeah. It's bad because access to public space is difficult. Yeah, it, it accepts... This is, yeah, you're totally right. It accepts... It, it accepts, accepts the, the positive premise of shrinking homes right. as long as it means expanded public 
public usage. Right. And the text makes a, a dubious argument about the home shrinking and at the same time the city being domesticated. And the home may shrink, but it actually expands. There's a whole like digital media Fine. virtuality I, I, thing you, on top of this. Get you. But if you replace in the in the entire architectural review issue, and probably in some of the texts that you read, if you replace the word public with the word commercial, you'd actually be hitting the that, mark. That would be the, the that would actually make every everything would make sense because it's, like there isn't actually an expansion of public space in the city. That space is contracting just the same as the home is aggressively. Contracting. Yes, the dead. The, the one of the reasons why it's contracting because they're building new buildings of tiny crappy homes in the worst yeah. possible spaces. People don't have public space, public facilities to use. People are forced into commercial spaces. This is also kind of a class bias in the article, which is like, I mean, I would normally be working in the cafe. The cafe's closed. Now I'm having to work at home, and I realize how shit my home is. But like, not everybody in their job can can like, not everybody can afford to use commercial space as like an extension of their domestic space. This is not public space. This is private. This is more private space. It's just commercial private space, not pub, not like uh, personal private space. The entire premise, the distinction between public and private, that's at the basis of like I think what we're seeing is the architectural response. Right. Is a is a totally bogus definition of public, which is really just private commercial, right? So the the Boeri essentially it's a private. We, they it assumes the privatization of public space. Yeah. To then say that as long as we have that, right? Then we're okay. But now that we don't, we need to make sure our domestic. But then their solution to that is not actually public, real public space. It's more private space, just at a different scale on a different levels. Like we need better rooftops. We need better courtyards. We need better. It's still this kind of. It's a it's a multiplication, and it's it, you can see it very clearly from the like this type of intricate, intricate, uh, almost like baroque urban layouts that seem very like detailed and studied and like taking attention to the particular detail of each situation and blah blah blah. What this is is precisely as you said, creating the conditions to make it easy to section off bits. Yeah. Essentially, uh, it's like a multi-scalar approach to the concept of the gated community. So can, yeah. can we imagine a world in which everything is gated communities, which requires really us to think on how to flexibilize the size of each of them. So some of them will be larger, some of them will be smaller. And every single space that isn't the personal space of one individual is still a gated community so that everyone is separated from everybody because yeah. Corona really makes us think about the concept of community again. And it's hilarious because that they're, it's the exact opposite. Yeah. Corona makes them go back, like recede radically into the destruction of the way in which commu urban communities actually work into a radically privileged middle-class concept of a community that is a defensive community against the urban. Yeah. So yeah, like even it, it's really annoying because I like the idea of a green terrace in a blo housing block. So yeah. Ever since Corb invented it, I think it's a great idea. I think a lot more uh, housing estates should have a collective, uh, like, scales to the size of the condom of the condo uh, green terrace. I think that's excellent. But I look at it here, and it yeah, creeps me the, out. Yeah, exactly. This is not. This is not. 
terraces, terrace facilities in housing. These are condo terraces. These are like privately owned. Yeah. This is the transformation of a condominium model. It's the imbuing of the condominium model with collective social import. Yes. So it's still a private private property ownership Not silly. based. Yeah, it's like it it per, it's a perfect example of how you have a project which entire purpose is to radicalize the process of privatization while presenting it as the exact opposite of that, as a return to community values and a return to like collective whatever. Did you, did you notice the part in this? I think it's in this one where they say the ground floors will be full of Vending machines for food. Oh, shit. I don't, didn't notice the vending machines for food. It's just a nice little touch they throw in there. So that like, there's not even... Even the cafe becomes a, a corporate-owned vending machine. Like, Oh, I'm sure there are cafes, but like the grocery store is now a vending machine. I suppose... So that you don't have to, you don't have to like be contaminated by uh, by uh, somebody working there. I mean, look, there's, there's things here that are kind of fine because... Again, if you're having hygienist principles, you're gonna hit. You're, you're gonna get something right just by accident. You're gonna inherit some kind of <laughs> modernist. Uh, this, uh, this point about to create resilience to coronavirus, the, 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 the neighborhood will have access to all essential services within walkable distance. So when with offices and housing, there will be a school and university center. They forgot the healthcare center and they forgot the, the, the <laughs> ironically, culture. ironically, and whatever. But I mean, yeah, like. The idea that there's this essential is, services within walkable distance is a major principle of modernist planning that was demonized by postmodern critique. But this, this, is, this is a different model. And I, I, I clicked through from this article to the other, to the forest city in Mexico. Did you right. check that one? No. This is more Stefano Boeri nonsense. Right. It's it's same, like I a, actually think I thought this was the same project. Yeah, it could be. It could very well the be the same project. It's, it's another one of these like smart city speculative eco uh innovation hub things and the whole thing the like the zine is full of this linked through this there's a there's a toronto example on the waterfront which is backed by google and the whole smart city data driven like tech digital approach to urbanism integrating green systems and supply chains and blah blah the whole thing and I read the vending machines as part of this. The whole thing is just constructing company towns. It's constructing like radical monopoly urbanism. Yeah. Like the Google yeah. Google waterfront smart city in Toronto is just going to be a Google company town. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Obviously, the, all of this stuff is uh, is a city that is owned by a corporation, and therefore yeah. it it it, ex it constitutes community logics within it because it is radically separated from the like whole of society. This is the company town of the upper middle class uh, proletarian aristocracy that works for that one company. Yeah. It's a defensive apparatus against universal uh, a universalist approach to rationalized planning. So it has a lot of the good elements of basic modern planning in it. Because the rich want modern planning for themselves. They don't like modern planning because of its universalist approach. It also wants to give the same shit to the poor, right? Yeah. It's a perfect, perfect encapsulation of this. And the way that COVID come, appears as a, a, an extra factor of legitimation of the exact same reactionary like, ideology is amazing. Yeah. It's crazy how all of their renderings feature 
a drone or two hovering in kind of like the middle foreground. Yeah. Like in fo- there'll be some like off out of focus, like lens flared out in the background. And then there's one up, up kind of close and its camera is looking at you. Right. They probably just copy and paste the same drone into their right. Right. But like, it's hard for me to imagine who looks at that and doesn't see like something menacing and evil. Oh, and by the way, it's just add one thing that I've always found interesting. They, there was always a lot of water there. There's like canals and water and stuff to make it look like to cool down temperature and like cool down and just stabilize atmospheric temperature and humidity and etc. to make it more pleasant, to make it like uh, enrich the spaces of like public space and blah, blah, blah. And all, all great. These are actually... They are the medieval uh, moats around the fucking castle. That's what they are. Like, look at it. Look yeah. at it. Tell me these are not the moats around the castle. And then the drones are flying on top of the moat. Instead of the archers, you just automated the archer, the archers. The, t- the towers are the drones. And the, at a certain point, there will be contexts in which the drones will actually have machine guns. And they will just, like, be shooting down the poor so that they can't get close to the to the to the company town as you say that's yeah. that's exactly what this is yeah so the uh the other uh the zine article i brought which i think is really you're going to enjoy this one uh in the future home form will follow infection that's gross uh, vaguely, yes. Uh, says Michelle Ogundehin, uh, I'm sure I'm sort of butchering her name, uh, who has outlined 11 ways the pandemic will impact the home. Uh, like the article goes like one by one, but I, I'm not going to go into like you know, 11 ways, right? It doesn't matter. Like the general gist of the thing is enough. Like the home play the pivotal role in the recent global crisis somehow. Forced to double as office, school, gym, even restaurant, whether it felt safe or suffocating, it came under forensic examination. And for many, was found wanting. And I do not mean in the decorative sense. Rather, COVID-19 <laughs> clarified that the contemporary paradigm of the home, and crucially how we live within it, must change if we are to survive the next interpandemic phase. This person normally, sorry to interrupt, this person normally writes on interior decor, I, I bet. I mean, look, obviously, the, the whole thing is about, uh, it's preposterous, the yeah. whole notion that, like, somehow tweaking, like, it, it's just, again, using COVID as an excuse to reinforce yeah. what, a thing that has been going on, like, this constant conversation of, like, flexibility and adaptation and, like, moving walls and, like, why mm. is the the house, uh, the home so strict? Mm. Why, like, what? You, you, the, the real problem of people in their houses is that they have too much room, too many rooms. Yeah. Like this is yeah. the real problem that working class people in social housing have too many rooms. We need more flexibility and open spaces and adaptability yeah. and blah, blah, blah. It's a, but COVID is just like, it, I don't see where, what relation COVID has with any of this. But like the, the, most of these 11 points are basically on this kind of stuff. Uh, layout determined by need, not history. It's just the point on flexibility. Mm. History is just the way it was built originally. Um, living rooms for active rest and play. Uh, uh, the anti-trophy kitchen. It's a, this is an interesting point because she actually says that we need to like 
there's virtues in going back to the enclosed kitchen as opposed to the like open plan flowing into the, which is actually kind of, I mean, it, it, it's kind of funny, I think. Mm. Like the whole, that's, that's obviously a kind of a feminist element to getting rid of the enclosed kitchen. And now you have a kind of a reversal of that mm. for some reason that is not clearly, some, somehow based on like, you don't want like dirty stuff from the living room to pollute the the food prepping area because COVID and therefore it, it's this just, person's a hardcore biopolitician. That's a, that's a really good point actually. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Um, the revival of forgotten rooms, libraries, larders, utility and morning rooms, the priority given to such separate rooms will be revisited. Clearly Sam libraries and morning rooms only if space allows for such a luxurious mode of escape. So what is a morning room? It's already, I, I, I don't even know. How do you so spell morning? I don't even know. It's, it's morning as in the, the beginning of the day. It's not ah, okay, before good. being sad. Uh, that grandma died getting, because of COVID. They're not getting that real. That real, no, no, they're not. Uh, and then it goes about, uh, again, it goes directly from, we want to revive all of these spe specialized functions. Ideally, they should have their own specific rooms, but only if space allows for such a luxurious mode of escape. I mean... Which it, it does for some. You're talking about the home in generic terms. I don't think this, the house is of the 0.001% factor into the equation. They, that's, those, those, those homes have never suffered from any problems. Can you... I've got, I've got a... I've got a, a philosophical question for you mm. if you have multiple homes first home second home vacation home getaways mm. do you actually have a home can you really what? have a home if you have multiple homes if you own multiple <laughs> properties can you ever truly be at home yes you know why why? Because if you own multiple properties, the world is your home. Uh, In the literal sense that you own it. Uh, <laughs> there you go. So this is the final point of the uh, article, right? Spaces for living, not speculation. Okay, here we're, we're getting serious now. You are getting serious now. And what do you think this would mean? What do you think after all of this, when someone says spaces for living, not speculation, what do you think... It's going to be talked about. Okay. First of all, carrying on my previous deep thought, no second homes allowed. You can't own homes as investments. So there's a limit on home ownership. Is that what you think this person is going to say? What I'm, no, I'm not, I'm not making a guess. On no, no, I, that's say. what I'm asking you. Make you a guess on what they're going to be talking about. You want me to speculate on their speculation? <laughs> I don't really want to. <laughs> <laughs> I'm still, after my nice, like, home thought i'm like i want to be optimistic here okay so go optimistic okay spaces for living not speculation i mean the only answers i have are we need a public building sector for housing to solve the housing shortage we need to systematically drop rents somehow we need to what, I mean, what could they possibly say? <laughs> Spaces for living, not speculation? I, what prepare, else prepare. I'm going to blow your mind. Okay. okay. I'm re this is really going to blow your mind. It's so awesome. 
I'm going to start reading. I think okay. reading is the best idea. So, overall, far from advocating ways of living that further isolate us as individuals, if we have the opportunity to build new, we must move towards the development of mixed model home units that tap into shared ownership of resources from utilities and sports facilities to out, outside space and childcare. So, I mean, up, okay. up to here, it's fairly, it's not good. It's fairly no, standard. It's, it's more the, condo. It's more it's of more the typical. Like better exactly. appointed condos with shared it's multi, facilities. Multi-scalar um, gated community approach. Yeah. So, uh, again, anytime they, if they're going to put it in terms of ownership, they don't mean public ownership. No, they so mean be private. They mean the courtyard model. The courtyard model of meaning through communal, to, through intra-class communal. Yeah. If you buy a condo, there should be a lap pool and a proper gym. And like lots of those like uh, rags that people don't wipe their yeah. equipment down with. Now, if, if after this, they would say, however, in order to make this a universal right to everybody, we need no longer for these housing, de- housing developments to be led by the private sector, mm. and we, which is the speculation bit, right? And yeah. we need a public uh, housing sector that will build new housing estates that give access to these types of uh, yeah. facilities for everybody. Uh, so again, I, in isolated fashion, this first paragraph is fine if you would expect it to be coupled with the political economic critique of the process of producing housing and therefore distributing them among the population. That's not where it goes. Mm. I mean, you, we already knew that's not where it goes, but it goes in the other direction in a way that literally will blow your mind. <laughs> now it is a time to solidify community and come together, not fracture apart. Preach. Preach. Nonetheless, flexibility is key. Therefore. Well, we gotta be, we gotta be realistic here too. Therefore, following the successful membership models currently enjoyed for music and movies. Oh shit. Why not homership by subscription? <laughs> what? What? Why not home ownership by subscription too? Make it easy to upgrade, downsize, add remove services, or swap cities as requirements change. And growing families don't get stuck in cramped conditions and empty nesters with a zen for travel. Don't leave oversized properties empty. And this is not the same as collective housing or co-living, which so far largely comprises single buildings divided into rentable individual rooms more akin to student-style dorms with hotel-grade services. The subscription model would deliberately encompass couples and families as well as footloose singletons and work to alleviate the social isolation and loneliness that's become so common among new moms, teenagers, single parents, retirees. It also goes hand-in-hand with a long-overdue review of our lamentable habit of sequestering old people in late-life ghettos, something painfully highlighted by the impact of COVID-19, of course, and these uncertain times on UK care homes. In this way, if we can evolve our domestic landscape towards small-scale collectives of ethically powered, well-insulated individual homes focused around healthy living community, sustainability, and intergenerational support, and might yet thrive in and beyond the corona era through the subscription model of housing. Terms and conditions do not apply, do not read the menu. (laughs) (laughs) Is this not the best thing you've ever seen? Yeah, that is... is 13-dimensional chess of the highest Is it not? Order. Yeah. Did, did, did I not blow your mind? Did I not deliver as promised? Yeah. This is amazing. This might happen. Isn't it genius? Yeah. It's fucking genius. Like, now you already don't own your home. Like, you just rent a property 
by mortgage to the bank. But yeah. now they're just going to make the rental process uh, completely dissociated from the actual physical place where you're at. So yeah. the bank will be like moving you around. Uh, like you won't have the right to that flat even. You will have the right to having a flat somewhere. Yeah. By paying rent as a subscription. I mean, subscription service is it's just rental. It's just rent, yeah. It's just rental. Um, but the way this is framed, it's, it's unbelievable. And again, this comes as a, an idea of returning to community yeah. by cr predicated on the idea that you don't have a stable fucking place. Where do you think communities go start? <laughs> it's fucking brilliant. It's hard for me to wrap my mind around all the ways this is the worst thing I've ever heard in my life. Right? So it, when they say spaces for living, not speculation, speculation, they mean, I assume, the real estate market. Yeah. So it's an end to... I mean, I don't it. know what they mean by fucking speculation because they never talk well, about, never talk the, about real, the reality of speculation. Let's, let's speculate ourselves. Maybe that's the speculation they mean. It's an architect speculating <laughs> on new at products very, to sell to the fucking speculators. At the very least, it's that. I mean, I can see that it means, okay, you can't really, you can't buy a flat. You can't get a mortgage. So you can't speculate. Like speculation on the real estate market is closed to like civilians, right? Now, if you want to speculate, you're speculating in a housing monopoly, in a real estate monopoly by buying shares. So it's like real estate is now just Amazon, basically. So it's turning the real estate market into just a straight-up monopoly where the speculation is based on its accelerating monopoly stranglehold, right? Exactly. That's the financial model. Yes. And then the spaces for living is like floating you on this like insanely precarious wave of like shifting. Well, I don't know. Are there even shifting property values? Like how do you, I guess there would be like levels of membership so you need like a premium subscription to not be forced you can to totally, move. You can imagine that, right? Yeah. Can you imagine like pre-ordering your house? or uh, I can imagine or, like someone would outbid, outbid me for my, for and my flat. Somebody with like a platinum membership wants to live where I live. So then I shift down like three zones to outer London. Right. Or I have to just upgrade my subscription. Right. Fuck. Is it not the best thing you've ever read, seen, heard? Yeah. But like worst thing you've ever. Yeah. It's fucking brilliant genius. We'll top that now. I don't know if I can top <laughs> that. That's, <laughs> that's uh That's pretty good. Yeah, that's a full that's a full house. <laughs> okay, so I think we got one last text for today. Uh, I'm going to do one from the Architectural Review mm -hmm. and we're going to pick up with the more juicy AR stuff uh, in the next episode. Cool? Yeah. So this text is called Living in a Bubble and it's by Indeed. Manon Moulard. All right. Uh, As architectural forms for the head, the body, and the city, balloons and bubbles draw our attention to the air we breathe, writes Manon Moulard. 
So this is like House Ruckerco shit. This is Coop Himmelblau shit. This is Archigram shit. It's plastic pneumatics, bubbles, obvious reference for quarantine coronavirus. What makes, I think this is... No um, Bucky? Oh, there's a brief Bucky reference. You when would she, expect the Bucky to Buc- be there. The Bucky reference the is very brief, though. Panic. The Bucky reference is very brief, and it's used as the scalar reference, like a, a dome that covers the city. Oh, okay. Uh, there's no Bucky reference for individual dwellings. Like, which is the entire This point. is not, I mean, this is, is the not... the healthcare panic individual yeah. thing. Okay. This is not history. Right. This is cool things from the 60s. Okay. Um, but I think it's illustrative that the Bucky it's reference... HDs. the The Bucky reference is for urban scale, and urban scale is not what this author is interested in. Uh, like, there's different scales of the bubble. It's mentioned in that little blurb I, I just read. But the whole thing is about personal bubbles or like bubbles for two. And it plays this really weird game about how obviously bubbles are kind of like individual conditioned environments. It's kind of ideal, idealized notion of uh, isolation, privacy, existing in your own bubble. It's the diagram basically for, for seclusion. But somehow the author tries to make the case that bubbles are actually not individualistic. They're a critique of individualism. And they're a critique of individualism because basically in all cases, the bubble is again in quote-unquote public space. So people are in bubbles, but they're out in the world. They're not in the bubble. They're not, you're not in a bubble inside your home, right? You don't need the bubble to be at home. Insofar as the bubble might be your home, it's a means to put you out there in the world. So, like the image of uh, yeah, you you like there's a it's kind of ambiguous reading of the bubble projects in which like literally it's about putting people in a bubble, but at the same time, it's about reducing the wall to the thinnest possible membrane. Right, and so it's actually about pushing the domestic space out there. While keeping its interiorness on a purely technical level, there's no, there's no. The bubble in this case is totally free of what, what we might call program, right, or infrastructure. Like there's no, there's no domestic, there's no domestic program of the bubble here. The images are basically of people walking around in bubbles. They reference the Hans Holine bubble where he's like, there's a famous photograph of him in a in a transparent pneumatic bubble working inside it on like an on the tarmac of an or like right next to the tarmac of an airport so he's like on an airfield in his office because he's in a bubble right so it's kind of it's an idea of being alone in public or being i mean they play up the whole transparency thing which is maybe the most tired and boring I think I think the core thing about the bubble. I mean, you are saying that the bubble does not have a programmatic function, uh, but I think it's like this is more serious than that because when they come up with the bubble, what they are saying is that they are inventing a kind of an essential programmatic function, mm. which is like the human being. Yeah, yeah, 
right? Like that is the new programmatic function. There's no like a, there's no historical function in the sense of like what thing people do in society. There's the human, yeah. And the bubble is like the human space, which r kind of sort of represents the space of the individual while maintaining like being having a thin layer separating it from the outside world which is like the perfect embodiment of yeah. basically liberal ideology in the form of yeah, architectural yeah, yeah. project exactly so this was this was the kind of weird turn in the middle of this text after talking about how you know locating the bubble in this kind of 60s yuppie architecture culture about like the hip individual in the city of the future uh, the text says these bubbles are almost counterintuitively not devices of an inward and reclusive individualism. Instead, they seek to open up communication, drive people outwards and into social space, perhaps even point to the dangers of individualism. Architectures of pneumatic temporality take to the streets together with their inherent contradictions, hermetic but transparent. Tense, but playful, self-contained, but dependent. I mean, this is precisely a diagram of liberal individualism, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah. Maybe recluse, maybe if you want to like contrast liberal individualism with reclusive individualism, that could be like a, a, a contradiction. But this is individualism as it really does exist in contemporary society. Yeah. It's social individualism. Like the model again here, and this is something that the the whole text, the whole journal, at least the parts that I read, <laughs> I can say for sure, maintains, is that the kind of digital space is the ideal model of public space. It's like social space, which is at the same time private space. Right. Uh, so it's so it's, why why do they all hate Twitter then? Because <laughs> like, like the the. The people that win in that scenario is Donald Trump. Haven't you been paying attention? <laughs> like the the funny thing is, liberals go about say imagining Twitter as the ideal social space, but then they freak out about the real thing. And right now, they've just gotten the unelected corporate entity to start censoring an elected official because they don't like him, regardless of there being many reasons for not liking him. But like. They are like they are. This is the uh, utopian liberal ideal of the social space, and they say this precisely in the moment when they have started actively demanding its policing. <laughs> yeah, isn't that amazing? They picked. They want this to f function as a public space, and therefore they call on the private owners of that space to police it. To police it. Yeah. Yeah, and I think. I think this is this is kind of like again the the broad point of the examples we've covered so far is that the model like the the coronavirus is really in a sense it's really uh counterproductive for architectural discourse in a certain way because just as you know climate change economic crises were forcing architecture to come to terms with public I mean, the coronavirus does it too, but they won't see it because, because of the scale of their, inter their possible intervention. Just as public space, proper public space, public infrastructure, public production was being put on the table again, now they're suddenly afraid of it 
and everything is forced down, back down a scale, back to the courtyard, back inside the home. They were already inside the home and we were trying to break out of it. And this is just compacting it further down. Like they, 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 they can, they can prefer the public space of the internet, but they, they refuse like all the models for transportation, for instance, or, or it's like new models of private transportation. People are dreaming of yeah. like trains, public transport is back off the table. But you know, the funny thing, the structural superficiality of this, of the way these narratives are constructed are aggressively apparent precisely because the pace of reality has outpaced the pace of publication of opinion. Yeah, they yeah. have just published this whole thing about yeah, going yeah, 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 inwards yeah. and public space is bad. Last week, this work, <laughs> not the moment when it comes published, there's millions of people in the fucking street. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, it's excellent. The complete nonsense, the way in which the like the absence of an actual framework of actual proper analysis and the total political vacuity of all of this bullshit is just kind of explodes in front of everyone's eyes. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so what do you make of these two two things we were looking at today? Yeah, I mean, I think first of all we learn that the zine is better than the architectural review. <laughs> As far as like... Yeah, it's just funnier. It's just more yeah, fun. As far yeah. as what the kind of stuff that we need to look at, it's just way better. Yeah. Maybe, so that's, yeah, that's renewed priorities right there. Yeah, I mean, the whole, the bubble article, the whole issue from Architectural Review on the inside, it's really just a continuation of, of, a, of a tendency to focus on the interior and the domestic space. It's something that, that we've been like looking at for a while, right? Yeah, it's like, I think it's a well, number one grudge that made us even think about starting this podcast. Yeah. Just, everyone just looks at the problem of going back to like engagement with the real. Yeah, and the real for them is like just contained in the walls of their flat, basically. Yeah, like every uh, the, the the new architectural lefts that are trying to do this, like basically since 2016, it's always going kind of interpreted through these kind of middle-class angst lens about work live inter the home. internal home yeah, yeah. thing uh, housing transforms everyone that starts talking about housing immediately transforms the discussion into inventing new forms of life at the at the scale of the domestic unit it's a kind of yeah it's not housing it's the home basically yeah exactly yeah. The, always back to the home interiority it's kind of internalization of the problem as like at the scale of the middle class liberal yeah. professional yeah yeah and i mean so we're we're gonna like we're going to keep trying to connect to really contemporary. I mean, shit is happening out there. Right. But I think in the next episode, we're going to go back, right? We're going to go back a bit and, and recount yeah. some of the interior It's kind stuff. of basically close the arc. I mean, we started with the contemporary reality and like the last material was basically the inside issue, which, as you said, it just radicalizes a problem. And we're going to push a bit back and try and look at yeah. different versions of the, of the problem before the COVID thing, before the situation that exists today. But already you can see exactly the same framework of interpretation right. uh, that leads to precisely the problems that we are looking at today. Um, yeah. So stay tuned for that stay shit. Stay tuned for that yeah. shit. Yeah, that, that's right. it. See you then. <laughs> <laughs>